Hello, Disney fans, and welcome to the show. My name is Austin Terrace, and I'm joined here today by my two wonderful sisters, Kylie. Hey, everybody. And Emma. Hi, everyone. Coming up on this episode of Disney Daydream, Disneyland is set to begin a phased reopening on July 9th. Details have been announced about the new park reservation system, and park hopping will not be allowed for the foreseeable future. Later on, we'll give you a complete overview of the Fort Wilderness Resort. So, take a little break in your busy day, and let's start daydreaming. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. Um, you can like our Facebook page. That's Disney Daydream Podcast. Follow our Instagram, DizDaydream. Send us an email to say hi, DizDaydream at gmail.com. And if you consider yourself to be a Disney Daydream super fan, consider checking out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash Disney Daydream. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Disney Daydream. That is the way that we really are able to stay financially afloat as a show. Our Patreon supporters receive special benefits for contributing a monthly donation to help Disney Daydream pay for things like hosting websites, music licenses, and of course, our um, equipment maintenance fees. We hope that all of the dads listening to our show had a very happy Father's Day yesterday. As far as we know, our dad enjoyed it, even though his gift didn't get here in time. But that is the state of shipping in this world right now. So (laughs) um, let's head into our news stories today, because like always, as it seems, there's a huge dump of news every week from Disney. So first off, in a really, really surprising announcement, um, Disneyland is actually set to begin their phased reopening on July 9th. This surprised a lot of people, and Disney stated earlier this week that the downtown Disney district would be the first thing to reopen on the 9th. That will be followed by the parks, Disneyland Park and California Adventure, reopening on July 17th, and then the Grand Californian and Paradise Pier Hotel reopening on July 23rd. Theme park capacity will be significantly reduced during the beginning stages, an actual percentage number has not been announced yet though and the resort will manage theme park attendance through a reservation system that will require all guests including those annual pass holders to obtain a reservation for park admission in advance specific details about this process haven't been released for disneyland although kylie will be covering this process for disney world Um, but it's expected to be essentially the same process that Disney will be implementing here. Enhanced guest safety measures in the hotels and in the theme parks are also expected to be quite similar to the guidelines that we've covered for Walt Disney World before. 
Experiences that draw large crowds, such as parades and nighttime spectaculars, will return at a later date. Character meet and greets will be temporarily unavailable, but characters will appear throughout the parks in new ways to entertain guests. It's important to note that Disneyland Hotel will not reopen, along with the other hotels at the Disneyland Resort on the 23rd. The reason for this is unclear, although it seems like Disney is just um, holding off on opening this resort to enforce social distancing measures and limit park capacity. So choosing to reopen the Grand Californian is their way to appease their DVC members. And then Paradise Pier offers kind of a more budget-friendly option for guests who are traveling to the resort. I was actually pretty shocked when I read the story, to be honest, and found out that Disneyland would be essentially reopening at the same time as the Disney World theme parks. And that's because California's had some of the harshest lockdowns in response to COVID-19. And the rules have been much, much more stringent than in Florida. And even just a month ago, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, when he was outlining the state's reopening plans, um, a lot of those statements led people to believe that Disneyland could potentially stay closed as late as September. So um, the fact that it's opening almost two months sooner than that was was really quite shocking. Also, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but another development about character interaction in the parks. Apparently, Disney is going to have something called like a character cavalcade where characters are like driving down parade routes which makes me wonder how it's different than a parade. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is something I just read like a day ago, but I was like, I'll wait until this is official before we cover it as a news story because it seems like Disney's replacing one parade with another parade. Is but it <laughs> multiple parade floats at the same time? Or I wonder if they'll just send one. That's a good question. If it's so staggered that it's only like one thing coming at a time. Yeah. Maybe. That, interesting. That'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, but in truth, the the news story that came out this week that has sent everybody into a complete frenzy was details about this new theme park reservation system that is reportedly going to be in place through all of 2021. So Kylie has details about that. So we discussed this a little bit in our last episode, but Disney will be implementing a reservation system for guests to enter the parks during their phased reopening and continuing throughout 2021. So we now have more details for you about what exactly this is going to look like. Disney is calling this the Disney Park Pass system, and there will be a new online tool that guests with valid park admission can use to reserve park entry in advance. So to enter the park, guests ages three and up need both a park reservation and valid admission for the same park and the same day. You're limited to only one park per day with this reservation system, so Park Hopper is basically no longer a thing for the foreseeable future, um, which I know some people are going to be very, very disappointed about. But some dates for you beginning on June 22nd, 2020, Disney Resort and other select hotel guests with valid theme park admission can make reservations. And then beginning on June 26th, 2020, annual pass holders without a resort stay can make reservations. And then beginning on June 28th, 2020, existing ticket holders can make reservations. So people who have tickets but weren't planning to stay on property. 
Then park reservations for right now are available through September 26, 2021. If you booked a vacation package, your ticket eligibility is tied to the date of your package. So if you have a resort stay from, let's just say, July 30th through August 6th, you can only reserve park entry for those days. You're not able to make a reservation for somewhere in 2021. And then if you have a room-only package, you don't have tickets linked to your room, you will need to call Disney to update to a package with tickets, and then you will be eligible to make your reservations for the parks. By June 28th, new packages and tickets will be available for 2021. And then later this summer, 2020 ticket sales will reopen based on availability after everyone has booked their vacations with this system. So we will see if um, they are able to accommodate new ticket sales and reservations for the remainder of the year, but we should know that later this summer. Yeah, and my understanding is that you will not be able to even reserve hotel stays for the remainder of the year at this moment. So on June 28th, um, you'll be able to book things sort of as normal, um, for the year 2021, um, of course, with the addition of this new theme park reservation system. Um, but you will not be able to make any type of resort or new ticket reservation for the rest of this year. So it's kind of weird that you could book a Disney trip in 2021, but you can't book a Disney trip, a new trip for the remainder of this year. That's something important that you should keep in mind. This also affects us because we have our trip booked, actually. Um, So we'll be able to make our 2021 reservations for our parks, um, essentially, I believe, on... Well, we'll try the 22nd, which is today, the day this episode airs. (laughs) Um, But if not, we'll try again on the 26th. That's kind of strange. Instead of thinking about where you're going to dine six months in advance now. You have to know which days are going to go into which parks (laughs) very far in advance. Now, the way we plan trips, that's not really an issue for us because we kind of think about that already. We have our schedule kind of already planned out. We take a look at, you know, the crowd calculator thing and make sure we're going to the parks on their theoretically least crowded day. And that's how we plan our quote-unquote, off day where we go to Disney Springs and do things like that. So this doesn't really change how we travel as much, but I'm sure this is going to be pretty um, shocking for the more casual traveler who's more used to just saying, waking up in the morning and then deciding what park they feel like going to, and that's how their decision is made. It's going to be very different for those people. One thing that's going to be interesting, though, for us is we try to avoid parks that have extra magic hours because those tend to be the days that those parks are most crowded. But extra magic hours as of right now aren't happening. So I wonder if the extra magic hour schedule is going to change. And then, you know, because it's hard. We usually look at that, but it's going to be hard to just predict when those might be happening. And then that also might affect crowd levels, but I don't know. So it'll just be interesting to see if any of that changes our usual plan. 
Right. It seems like crowd levels at things like Disney Springs so far have been just super low. Um, I don't know if that's going to transfer into the theme parks or not, um, but we'll just we'll just really have to see. I am also sad for the park hopper lovers because there are some people who live by the park hopper system and will. I think when you do more relaxed trips, that's probably the best way to do it. Hop between parks and go to different see spend the day in Magic Kingdom, but then hop over to Epcot for dinner and those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. that is going to really affect some people's style of Disney vacations. An important thing to remember is that you have to make these reservations yourself in your My Disney Experience account. The reason behind that is that everybody in your party, before they make their park reservation, has to like sign this online waiver that is essentially saying that you're assuming all of the risks of potentially contracting COVID-19 if you walk into Disney's theme park. So that's like, if you're working with a travel agent, that's not something that is advisable that they would do for you. If you're, you know, officially signing something, you should always do that yourself. Uh, Just get online and work through that process because it would just be really, really disappointing if somebody has a huge Disney trip booked and they just wait too long and the park is at capacity because you just waited an extra couple of weeks. Do it ASAP if you already have that package booked. It's going to be interesting to see how quickly the parks fill up. I'm I'm very interested to see uh, how quickly these reservations go because if it's anything like desirable fast passes and dining reservations, they're going to go quick. But I'm also not sure how many people are interested in traveling at the moment. So... Exactly. It seems like people aren't necessarily that interested in traveling yet. But, you know, if Disney could be selling stuff right now, they would be. And the fact that they're not selling anything for the remainder of the year tells me that they're already at that capacity. Yeah. And that they can't risk other people booking and having to cancel people's trips. So I feel like I'm not exactly sure how many more 2020 reservations are even going to be available. when they're supposedly releasing that at the end of the summer. There might not be anything going on. Um, But Emma has a couple more details just to share about um, this park hopper situation that is unfortunately going away for a while. From now on, Disney is requiring guests who have both a park reservation and a valid admission for the same park on the same date. You can only have a ticket for one park per day, which temporarily suspends the park hopper system. And again, this reservation system applies to all confirmed tickets through 2021. So like we were saying a little bit before, I think for people who do park hop, this is really sad news because, again, that's the way they've always done Disney. Like I have a few friends that whenever they go to Disney, they only park hop. And... So I think that'll just be an interesting adjustment for a lot of people. Even for families who can't afford the four or five day week long Disney trips, park hopping was a great way where they could be in the parks for two days and split it up between the two days, seeing all four parks. And um, so that's going to be frustrating for them, too, because they have to now choose two parks to go to rather than being able to split their time 
um, and see them all. Even thinking about that now, it would be like crushing for me to have to pick two of the four parks to go to just because I'm so used to visiting each one during my trips. And although like technically I would say I have a slight favorite, like there isn't a park that I could just skip out on and be okay with it. Usually it would be Hollywood Studios pre-Galaxy's Edge, but now with that open, I'd be really sad not to go there, but that means I'd have to miss like my really, really favorite parks because I absolutely love Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and Animal Kingdom. Yeah, I was just going to say it's, especially with all of the renovations that are happening and have happened, you don't want if this is the only trip you're going to take for the next couple of years, you don't want to not go to Galaxy's Edge and not go to see all the new things that are coming to Epcot. And, you know, that leaves out Magic Kingdom and you don't want to not go to Magic Kingdom on your Disney trip because that's kind of where the Disney magic comes alive. And so mm-hmm. that's going to be a really hard choice for some families. Maybe the choice is made a little bit easier if you take into the limited show experiences and nighttime spectacular things into account. Yeah. Because honestly, that does really lower like the enjoyment that I would get out of magic kingdom without their parade and happily ever after. Um, and also makes me a little bit less inclined to go to Hollywood studios because of Mm -hmm. missing out on phantasmic. So potentially that could weigh into your decision over the foreseeable future until those things return. Although for people who can't afford a, like a four day, a multi-day ticket, people who can afford that, but choose to do the park hopper anyway, this could just be another excuse to save some money on their trip because the park hopper is really expensive. I mean, it's a good way to see four parks in two days. But it's not a great way to add on to like a four or five day ticket because the added cost is just so high. I think if if you go into it with a little bit of a changed mindset, you'll be able to find things in every park nowadays that can keep you occupied for the full day. And dining, I think, used to be an issue, but Disney's really improved the quality of a lot of their restaurants and the variety of what you can get. So that I feel like is less of an issue. There are more and more attractions opening at each park now. Um, Theoretically, if all of those are able to open, then that's not really an issue anymore. So I feel like you'll more than be able to fill your time at Disney if, if you don't have the park hopper. But today is the day we are wrapping up our guides to the moderate resort series. So covering Fort Wilderness Resort is our topic today. That will be coming right up. So today is the day we are wrapping up our guides to the moderate resorts. Fort Wilderness Resort feels like it doesn't necessarily belong here, but it also doesn't really belong talking about the value resorts or the deluxe resorts. 
We've mentioned this before. Um, this is a property that stands completely on its own. Uh, one of the reasons is because there are no traditional hotel rooms at Fort Wilderness Resort and campgrounds. As the name implies, there are only cabins and then plots of land for guests to use at, for camping in a tent, trailer, or RV. When Fort Wilderness opened in November of 1971, there were only 232 campsites and two comfort stations. Comfort stations are the large communal bathrooms where guests can shower and get ready for the day. After many, many years of expansions, the resort is now a gargantuan 750 acres in size, and it contains 847 campsites and 363 wilderness cabins, along with multiple restaurants, numerous recreation options, two main stores, two arcades, two pools, a horse stable, and more. This is the rustic, outdoorsy option for campers who also enjoy Disney. And yes, it is 2020, and thankfully, there's free Wi-Fi in every cabin and access to free Wi-Fi on every campsite, too. It's really hard to describe the layout of a resort that is this massive. Uh, We haven't talked about a resort that comes close in terms of land area size because there really isn't one. But essentially, um, the campsites are located in loops around the resort that are connected by trails and a few main roads named Big Pine Drive, Fort Wilderness Trail, and Peacock Pass. Each loop is given a number, and certain loops contain the campsites for tent camping and hookups for RVs, and other loops contain the wilderness cabins. The tent and RV campsites are mostly located off of Big Pine Drive or Fort Wilderness Trail, and the cabins are located off of Peacock Pass. Scattered throughout the resort are countless recreation options that you can partake in. There are a huge number of basketball courts, comfort stations, and tetherball poles. There are even tennis courts, shuffleboard areas, a relaxing beach area, spots to rent bikes, fishing gear, canoes and kayaks, and other recreational equipment. Fort Wilderness doesn't really have a central lobby like the other resorts do. Um, The check-in area isn't really um, that great in my opinion. It's pretty small. But there are two concentrated areas that have a lot of amenities that are located on opposite ends of the property. The first area near the entrance of the resort is called the Outpost Depot. Here there's a building with the reception area for guest check-in and check-out a spot to take horseback trail rides, and the Meadow Trading Post store. The second area is located all the way on the other side, on the west side of the resort, and it's called the Settlement Depot. This is a huge area that includes the Settlement Trading Post store, a marina, Pioneer Hall, which houses a restaurant, dinner theater, tavern, and arcade. There's a spot to take carriage rides, Tri-Circle D Ranch, which is literally a horse farm on a resort property, and a bike and jogging path. This is most definitely not a resort that you walk across. Uh, There is an intricate internal bus system that can get you around the resort, to the theme parks, or to Disney Springs. The bus to Magic Kingdom departs from the Settlement Depot, and the buses to the other parks in Disney Springs depart from the Outpost Depot. Because Fort Wilderness is technically in the Magic Kingdom Resort area, 
A really cool transportation option is the fact that you can board a ferry at the marina that will take you straight to the park. If the ferry has a green flag, you'll go directly to the park and back. If the ferry has a blue flag, that's the ferry that travels between Fort Wilderness, the Contemporary Resort, and Wilderness Lodge. To help yourself get around the resort with style and ease, a very popular option is to rent a golf cart for the day. This costs about 60 bucks for 24 hours. Um, it's a very convenient option, but bikes are also available to rent from the bike barn. And you can even schedule Segway tours that travel all around the resort. And yes, there is a Segway riding lesson that accompanies that tour, so you're not falling all over the place. Something that I think is cool about this resort is... It's super friendly to these like different modes of transportation. So um, my first thought was, okay, if I'm going to bike around the resort, can I leave my bike at, you know, the bus station while we're in the park for the whole day? And you can. There's near all the bus stops and all the different recreation activities. They have bike racks and they have golf cart parking areas. And so um, people really do just leave their golf cart for a full day while they're at the park and then it's there for them to, when they get off the bus and all those kinds of things. So, yep. I would possibly recommend saving some money if you're not going to be doing a um, resort day. And if you're just going to the park and back, just try renting a bike and saving um, a bit of money unless you're piling your entire family onto the golf cart and then, the $60 a day might be the cheaper option. Or bringing your own bike. If you're bringing an RV or something, just bring your own bikes and then you don't have to rent the bikes either. Yeah, good point. But this is definitely another example of a resort where if you're coming here and you're leaving every single day to go into the parks, you're doing that wrong. There's so much at this resort to do you're going to be missing out if you're just going to not take advantage of all the amenities in recreation that it has to offer. This isn't a uh, all-star situation where you can get a pretty decent room and you can head into the park each day. This is like a staycation in a sense. There's enough to do here for days where a lot of people feel like they don't even need to go into the theme parks. Some People who come to Fort Wilderness go for a week. They don't even enter Magic Kingdom. They feel like they don't need to. And we should also mention that this resort has probably the most loyal and fervent fan base of any Disney resort. The people who love this place are crazy about it. And there's some really popular and passionate fans of the of resorts like people who go and stay every time at Polynesian or Pop Century but this one just takes the cake. If you talk to Fort Wilderness fans, they will preach to you for hours about how good of an option it is. And for people who like traveling and vacationing this way, I mean it's undeniably an incredible option. So, um Emma's going to go next talking a bit about dining, pools, shopping and other entertainment at the resort. Starting off with dining, Pioneer Hall is a table service restaurant that is a buffet and family style. This restaurant is a little more pricey and it's over $60 a person. 
Trails End is another table service buffet family style restaurant. The inside looks a lot like a log cabin, so I thought that was cool. The prices range anywhere from $15 to $60 per adult. The Hoop-dee-doo Musical Review is a table service restaurant, but it's actually a dinner theater experience. The description of this restaurant is, quote, a hilarious, high-spirited hootenanny the whole family will enjoy, accompanied by a finger-licking countryfied feast. We should mention that so many people say that if this is on your Disney bucket list, check it off as soon as you can because it's so incredible and such a good value. Um, we mentioned this on the show before, if, if it ever comes back. It's something that we might look into doing on our next trip, and it's such such a great value because you also get bottomless drinks, um, beer and wine included in that. So that's pretty, pretty extremely rare for Disney. The last table service restaurant is the Lounge Crockett's Tavern. They serve wings, nachos, wine, and draft and bottled beer. Meadow Snack Bar is a counter service restaurant right by the Meadow Swimming Pool. They serve light snacks and frozen treats, as well as beer and sodas. P&J Southern Takeout is another counter service restaurant that has a variety of southern dishes. And lastly, the Chuck Wagon is a culinary camper that serves all types of foods, such as sandwiches, burgers, salads, moonshine cocktails, and build-your-own s'mores kits. Yeah, before moving on, I think... A lot of people might consider Fort Wilderness to have some of the best dining at a resort. Even if you don't enjoy vacationing and camping, if you don't have an RV or you don't want to be in a tent, maybe the cabin options here are a little bit out of your price range, you should still consider taking advantage of some of the entertainment and dining that's offered here. I've heard nothing but good things about Trails End. I've heard nothing but excellent things about the food at Hoop Dee Doo, and it's even a popular option for people to uh, take a break from Magic Kingdom, ferry boat it over to Fort Wilderness, eat at Trails End, and then go back in the evening for like the fireworks and stuff. Because to be honest, like I've always felt that the food at Magic Kingdom is still a little bit lacking um, compared to the other theme parks, and a lot of people prefer Trails End. Moving on to pools, the Meadow Swimming Pool is the feature pool at Fort Wilderness, and it contains a 67-foot corkscrew water slide. For adults, there is a nearby Whirlpool Spa, and for kids, there is a nearby fort-themed water play area. And then the Wilderness Swimming Pool is an all-ages leisure pool with a Whirlpool Spa. There's not much to say about these pools. Yeah, they're... <laughs> I mean, average <laughs> compared to other resorts the pools are kind of sad but there's so much to do that it kind of doesn't matter as much but they're just okay so there are two stores the meadow trading post is a shop with everything from camping supplies to movie rentals and the settlement trading post is another shop at fort wilderness that has a bunch of fun disney merchandise along with camping supplies and groceries I'm sorry to keep interjecting. There's just so many like really incredible things about this resort. In the shopping, these two trading posts are some of those incredible things. They're well-themed. They have unique merchandise. And because 
something that's really important to mention, there's no dining hall here. There's no quick service dining option. They have a huge amount of food selection at these trading posts because a lot of people are cooking for themselves. So this resort has plenty of activity options, and the list is seemingly endless. They have the Fort Wilderness Archery Experience, which allows anyone over the age of seven to learn how to shoot with a bow and arrow. The Tri-Circle D Ranch has a trail, pony, wagon, and carriage rides. There's Chippendale's Campfire Sing-Along, fishing, motorized boat rentals, bike rentals, canoe rentals, kayak rentals, basketball courts, jogging trails, volleyball, playgrounds, Davy Crockett's Wilderness Arcade, Daniel Boone's Wilderness Arcade, and the Wilderness Back Trail Adventure, which is none other than a Segway trail. (laughs) So getting into the room categories for this resort, we'll start with the cabins first. So here, a cabin is a cabin. There aren't different types of views or preferred, not preferred, like the rooms at the other resorts. However, if there is a certain area of the resort you would like to be, you can request it when you check in online. Um, but you can't request a specific cabin per se. You can just say, um, I'd like to be in this loop. Um, The cabins have one bedroom that has a queen bed and a bunk bed, a TV and a nightstand. There is also a queen size sleeper sofa in the living room. So this, uh, the cabin sleeps six total. Uh, In the living room, you'll also find a chair, flat screen TV, a dresser, a table with a bench and three dining chairs. And then the cabins have a kitchenette with a full-size fridge, a microwave, a dishwasher, and a stovetop. So kind of picture like a shotgun-style house or a trailer. It is basically one long straight line of all of these things connected. There is also one bathroom with a single-sink vanity, a toilet, and a tub shower. Uh, It's important to note that these bathrooms are not as efficient and well thought out as the more um, contemporary style resort rooms. They don't have a separate toilet area from the shower area. So for six people getting ready to go to the uh, theme parks in the morning, this could be challenging for everyone to get ready. Um, just something that you should be aware of. And then lastly, the cabins have a deck with a picnic table, a small yard, and a charcoal grill. All of the furniture in the cabin has a carved wood aesthetic. The light fixtures, artwork, and other decor elements feature different animals and wilderness landscapes. There's also a lot of wood and earth tones throughout the whole cabin, as you would expect from a log cabin style room. Moving on to the campsites, you can, for all of the different campsites, you can have up to 10 people at each site. So these are also big enough for multiple families to be staying on most of the time. So that's important to know if you have two fam, like you're going with another family, you guys can get one campsite and you'll probably fit comfortably unless you have a giant RV. Um, But anyway, there are a bunch of different style campsites. So the first ones are the premium campsites. These have room for larger style RVs. They're 18 feet by 60 feet. uh, And it's a concrete pad that you can put your RV on. And then you also have sewage hookup, obviously. 
The preferred campsite has room for an RV and a small tent. These are 10 foot by 45 foot concrete pads. They have sewage hookup and they are close to the marina. So you're going to be close to that settlement area if um, that is interesting to you. Then they have just the normal full hookup campsites. This has room for an RV plus a tent. They are 10 feet by 50 feet concrete pads and they have sewage hookups as well. So these all sound very similar, but basically the premium campsites are, um, I'm sorry, the preferred campsites are near the marina. The full hookup campsites are kind of just out in the woods and the trails. And then the premium campsites are closer to the, the settlement and the, the meadow. Then you also have premium meadow campsites. These have room for a larger style RV. The concrete pads are 18 feet by 60 feet. They have sewage hookup and they are located in the meadow area close to all of the recreation activities. I have to say, I don't know if I'd go for the premium meadow campsite. I don't want to speak too much about it because I haven't actually stayed at the resort, but the meadow area that does have one of the pools and I believe maybe the bike rental area and stuff um, and I also think the Chippendales like campfire area, that's still like smack dab in the center of the resort. And usually that would be really convenient, but it's like equidistant away from all of the other things and the dining options. So I don't know, like, I don't really think there is a preferred area to stay in at this resort. Yeah. It, it's, it doesn't mean like you're still not going to be really within convenient walking distance if you stay there (laughs) well and it's going to be louder and if you're camping you tend to want to be more secluded and have your own little plot of land not looking right at the pool Um, lastly we have your tent or pop-up campsites these have room for a pop-up camper or a camper van type vehicle as well as two tents these are these concrete pads are 10 feet by 25 feet and they do not have sewage hookup so that is important to know all campsites have a charcoal grill a picnic table free wi-fi and cable and electrical hookups they also have a cold water tap you can request a safe if you would like one and then they have views of the woods and privacy enhancing landscaping so these campsites are very shaded. There are lots of big trees that give you privacy. Um, and the sites are really big. That's, but that's a comment that a lot of people say is that the campsites here are so much bigger than most campsites. And I mean, it's 750 acres. Yeah. It's just, just massive. So getting into some pricing, if you are wanting to stay in a cabin around Christmas, you're going to pay $737 a night. Outrageous. The lowest you're going to get the cabin for is $400 a night, and the average is around $472 a night. Uh, The full hookup station or campsites around Christmas are $201 a night. The lowest you'll get them for is $101 a night, and then the average is around $130 a night. For a tent or pop-up campsite, 
uh, around Christmas, it's going to be around $172 a night. The lowest you'll get is $68 a night, and the average is $102. For the Premium Meadow campsite, if you are interested in that, this is the most expensive campsite. Around Christmas, it's going to be $248. The lowest will be $136, and the average will be $178. So this is one as, of the re- sorry. No, this good. is one of the reasons why it's also awkward to put this in a resort category, because the two different accommodation options are so drastically different from each other. Like on the lower end, you have like below value resort prices, yeah. but on the cabin end, you have like the lower tier of the deluxe resort prices. So I guess they kind of like just took the average and called it a moderate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as who this resort is good for, this is great for families who camp. If you don't camp, I wouldn't recommend buying an RV or a tent and all of the supplies you're going to need because it's probably not going to save you money. But if you're a camping family and you have an RV or you have tents and you have all the supplies, you're going to save so much money by, um, choosing this option. And I also also should note that a lot of families that want to stay here that do not have RVs or campers will rent them when they get down to Florida. So that is an option if you're interested in doing that. But obviously that's going to add more cost to your trip. This is also good for big families on a tight budget. Um, like we said, you can get 10 people on one campsite. So if you're tenting it out for a week and you can get your campsite for $68 for your big family of six, eight, whatever. Um, you're going to save a lot of money rather than getting two different hotel rooms. And then for families of six, I think the cabins are a great option. Um, it's hard to find places in Disney for families of six. One of the only other options are, um, the family suites at Art of Animation, which are now getting pretty expensive. So the cabins are just a little bit cheaper than the Art of Animation family suites, but you're still going to save some money there. And then you have tons of activities and things like that that you can do as well. Yeah, I I feel like I have mixed feelings about the cabins just because I, I like how they're finished and they underwent a renovation in 2016. I think they look pretty nice. To me, it's all about the layout, though. And I personally find the layout to be a bit awkward um, because the sleeping situation is similar to like a one-bedroom suite where two people are supposed to sleep on a pull-out sofa in the living area, and then the other four people are supposed to sleep in a bedroom with a queen bed and then two bunk beds. So although it is good if you if your immediate family has six people, other than that, I feel like it's a little bit awkward of a layout. Like if we were traveling all together, I mean, we can make it work because we're a close family, but bunk beds aren't like the optimal situation <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. It's also just, I mean, bunk beds aren't ideal for adults, periods. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> A couple important things to mention, though, is the fact that you're allowed to have dogs at select campsites and cabins. You can actually have up to two dogs stay with you at a time. 
I think it's a little bit ridiculous, though. I was reading, and it is $50 per dog per night. I just think that's way too much. Um, Also, you have the ability to park your car on your um, campsite. Uh, That's good, but it's weird that you still have to pay for parking. I I don't think you should have to. It's like on your literal campsite, but it's still $20 a night Hmm. uh, for parking there. That's a little bit strange. But they also have a dog park if yes. you bring your dog. Yeah, it, it looks really nice as well. So in terms of touring plans reviews, 91% of those who reviewed this hotel would recommend it to a friend. The Disney average is 76%. And then 96% would stay at the resort again. Are Disney these the highest numbers? Is 92. They've got to be pretty much the highest numbers. Yeah, and it shows you how high. passionate the Fort Wilderness fans are. Yeah. For people like Emma and me, I think we're in the (laughs) same boat in terms of not liking camping at all. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) So because of that, and because the layout is a little interesting, in my opinion, in terms of the cabins, I don't know that I would consider staying here, but I would absolutely take advantage of this resort's dining and entertainment Mm -hmm. options by just taking like a day trip over here. I really want to check this place out. And I think Kylie's kind of on the other end. Kylie, you don't really mind camping. I I enjoy camping a lot, actually. Would you tent camp at Disney? I would tent camp at Disney, but I would not tent camp at Disney in the summer. It would oh, have correct. to be. I can't imagine that. Wow. It would have so to be hot. in the like wintry fall months because. Yeah, the poof. cabins there do have air conditioning, which is great. I really but... want to stay in one of the cabins, though. I, um, we have a tent and everything, but I, I would like to stay in a cabin. Yeah, I mean they are certainly nice. They have a lot of amenities, and I like that. It's like your own little plot of land for the week. Like you have a little yard space and you have a grill and mm-hmm. yeah, I just wait. Think that's so nice. wouldn't it be just extremely uncomfortable though, since they're concrete slabs in a tent? Well, you bring pads and you usually put like a a pad under your sleeping bag, uh, well, or you bring air mattresses and then you don't even notice. It's better than dirt. Because well, then you can't, you're less likely to get water into your tent. Sometimes. So all of the, <laughs> all of the campsites are concrete, concrete slabs? slabs? Oh, I thought I saw that differently, but okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Which, There's also a huge area in the back for like Boy Scouts and Girl Scout troops well, to come and fun. camp, like a huge kind of communal Cute. area. So that, yeah, that seems like it would be pretty fun. Very unique. I like this resort. It's definitely a resort that stands on its own, and it could be a separate vacation all onto itself. So that is Fort Wilderness, and that wraps up our guides to the moderate resorts. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Disney Daydream podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join us for the next one. Remember, be kind to one another and take the time to find a magical moment in each and every day. (laughs) 